don't see it recording yet. There it is. Okay, there we go. All right, we're good to go. I did another like five or ten seconds just to to be sure. Sometimes it cuts off the the beginning. Sounds good. And welcome back into the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles. This is your host Clint Lamb sitting here once again with Brett Hudson. How are you doing this morning, Brett? I'm good, man. What you got going on? Man, you're talking about a busy time of year. I, I, you have a, the typical slow off season that I, like you have in any other off season, but then you add on COVID-19 where there haven't been sports, there hadn't been nearly as much to talk about. So you kind of the slow got even more drastic during this off season. So trying to adjust to the speed of everything picking up and going on, especially with um you know, all the news that's coming out every single day about different teams and, and just there's a ton going on. So for me, it's been super hectic. Not only are you dealing with the same kind of thing, but you got two little baby girls that you're trying to keep up with, too. So I'm sure they're keeping you young. Yeah, uh, they're keeping me tired is, is what they're doing. <laughs> um, uh, they're, they're in daycare now, which which helps out a lot, which is why uh, Harper and Emma haven't been making um, uh, appearances on the recent episodes of the Bama beat podcast, much to the chagrin of Bama pro updates on, on Twitter shout to him um, with this random off season. Have you noticed that you're not as learned up on the rest of college football as you, as you would be otherwise. And maybe, maybe it's, it's different for you because you're hosting a radio show and you're the, a daily radio show and you're having to maintain that conversation for hours a day, every day. But like my parents were up here for, uh, Labor Day weekend to to see the girls, not to see me, their son, just to, to see the girls. Obviously, it's all about the grandbabies now, man. Absolutely. And Dad just flippantly asked me what I thought of the BYU Navy game coming up on Monday, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks that I had no idea. I had no frame of reference or knowledge of any kind on either team, and that's kind of weird for me like i i'm normally deep into the Athlon previews and the phil Steele preview and i i got a good handle on pretty much every fbs team well into the preseason and because this preseason has been so disjointed and uh our focus has been elsewhere i i just had i had no insight to offer for that BYU Navy game, which worked out in everyone's best interest, because Navy also had nothing to offer for for that game. <laughs> uh, uh, I dude, just thought that, was, I, that just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks that the the cumulative impact of a strange off season has had on me. I don't know if it's had that impact on you. It definitely has to some degree. Uh, the, the teams like Navy and BYU, I was asked the same thing. And based off of what I knew about Navy, um, I didn't even really know what the line was. But people were just asking, hey, who would you take? Um, I mean, I, on a very surface level with that game, I, I recommended Navy. Ended up being completely wrong. Had I known that they had not done really a single contact practice. Yeah, I, I probably would have. I, no, I know for a fact I would have gone the opposite direction. Um, that's a pretty important piece of information that uh, that that I didn't have. And and so anybody that asked me and I didn't give you the correct statement, uh, hope you'll forgive me. Uh, if you ask me my opinion at for at any point over the course of this season, I'm probably going to be wrong then too. But for right now, I'm going to use the excuses while I got them. And I did not know that Navy was going to go through an entire off season without having, uh, you know, contact practices or anything like that. And it showed. And now I'm curious to know. I, now, granted, Navy made a little bit of sense, but I, I'm kind of curious to see if if any of these other teams took a similar route. And if they did, are they looking at that game that Navy or that performance that Navy had on Monday and thinking we might have really screwed up here? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like that was a cautionary tale for, for anybody who, who didn't do any sort of contact during the, during the interim that there is a, there is a heck of a price to pay if, if you don't, uh, that was just something that, that popped into to my mind. We should, we should probably get to Alabama stuff now. Yeah, uh, definitely. But I completely agree with you as far as just. It feels like I'm not as on top of my game, but I'm getting there. Uh, one thing with games actually starting, 
and because I have the radio show that I have to do every day, I've been diving in a little bit more. Uh, that UAB Miami game should be a lot of fun to watch tonight. But as yeah. far as Alabama's concerned, we're what 16 days away from kickoff, and with that. We're starting to get closer to figuring out. We've had so many questions. Think about all the different things that we've speculated on over the course of this entire offseason. And now we're getting to a point where we're actually going to be able to to see how some of those things play out. Were we correct? Were we completely off? More than likely, we're going to be completely off. But uh, for any of the stuff that we do get right, I'm sure we'll hop on here and brag about it. But we're starting to get some, you know, thesis decent pieces of information and that's kind of what today's podcast is going to be about we're not going to spend a whole lot of time um on this podcast it's going to be an hour long unless me and brett figure out a way to turn what small information we're going to be talking about into an hour which is possible but um <laughs> just kind of wanted to just to bounce a couple things off of you and i wanted to start with roster management because nick saban talked about earlier this week um you know having players get the extra years of eligibility and what that might mean. And it's actually really interesting when you start diving in and realizing, you know, Alabama's not going to allow anybody that wants to come back to come back. There's, we don't know what the, the, the roster uh, or scholarship limits are going to look like more than likely. We've talked about it. They're going to have to increase those, but we have no clue how much. Um, and so that's kind of to, a uh, to be determined, but, I mean, how many guys do you think are actually going to come back? You're going to have players leave early. That's going to create some opportunities, but that happens every year for Alabama. You're going to have some guys. One thing that Nick Saban brought up that that he's really proud of is Alabama has done a really good job of getting players graduated in three and a half years. And so that gives these some of these players the opportunity to take the grad transfer route if they want to enter their transfer portal. But the problem with that is – everybody's going to be doing that. You're going to have some players returning to every team, but you're also going to have tons of guys entering the transfer portal because they're realizing, okay, not only uh, are we not moving up the depth chart because of, you know, the, the player, you know, X player is still in front of me, but also you got this new group of freshmen coming in and they just recruited this guy to, and he's now part of the equation. I might actually end up dropping on the depth chart. So there's just going to be a, it, to me, and I, this is what I wanted to get your opinion on. Do you think it's going to be as chaotic as I think it's going to be? Uh, yes. The the short answer is yes. It's it's hard to to the original question about how it's going to impact roster management. It's it's hard to know for sure until we know what the scholarship situation is. Like it's. It's easy to find those things in baseball or and in softball because they've already said that they've already set their or I guess in their case their lack of scholarship limits for the 2021 season coming this this spring so you know that they can more or less do what they want in the spring of 2021 and they'll eventually have to pare that back down to the 11.7 that baseball is accustomed to and I think it's 12 even that that softball is accustomed to so they'll eventually work that back down so you kind of know where those teams are going into this season and and you can kind of figure it out from there with football we don't know what their scholarship situation is going to be in 2021 we don't know how they're going to edit that 85 scholarship limit for 2021 and then further on into 2022 and et cetera. Now, I do think Alabama is well positioned to have fewer hard decisions to make because they are one of those programs that very frequently loses guys early to the NFL draft. Just looking at at the juniors and redshirt junior juniors, redshirt juniors and redshirt sophomores on this year's team. Uh, LeBron Ray is a legitimate candidate uh, to leave early. Patrick Sertan the second. I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone anticipates him sticking around for 2021. Uh, Jalen Waddle. I mean, he's a serious candidate for the 2021 NFL draft. I think most people would be surprised if, if he returned, um, I know a lot of people think highly of Christian Barmore as a uh, well. He's a redshirt freshman, isn't he? No, no, no. no. Uh, Barmore is a. I think he's a redshirt junior now. No, I think he's 
redshirt sophomore. I, I found him. I couldn't I couldn't okay. find him in the scroll, but he's a redshirt sophomore, so maybe he does the the Quinn and Williams thing thing. But the, the point is when you take guys that could leave early after this season and could leave early after next season, Alabama's gonna have so much draft related attrition that their scholarship number is more likely to work itself out than it is at a place like Kansas State or a place like Cal where they don't have that early draft attrition. So they may have to make the the tough decision to tell a group of 10 guys, you, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here type thing. Like the we're, we're working our way back to the 85 scholarship limit and you're the fat that we're trimming. Uh, Alabama is less likely to have that that issue um, because of the early draft attrition. But you could also see it working against them the opposite way where guys like Ben Davis, who maybe he gets a starting job at outside linebacker this year and he performs well, but he thinks he could come back for 2021 and, and turn himself from a fifth round pick to a third or second round pick. Or you could probably fit that bill for, for a bunch of guys like Brian Robinson Jr., um, maybe Dylan Moses needs it to get his knee back to where he wants it to be. Uh, maybe Carl Tucker. Yeah, Carl it. Tucker and Miller Forrestall. Those were two uh, guys that were standing out in my mind. Exactly. And, and it could even continue on because, like, in theory, Christopher Allen is a redshirt junior in both 2020 and 2021. So he might be on the 2022 roster when you never anticipated that. There, there are a lot of uh, different directions that this could go. But I do think that since Alabama tends to have a bunch of guys leave early for the draft and they recruit at the top level of, of the sport. So they have a bunch of guys that transfer if they don't play somewhat early. I think Alabama is in a situation where that the scholarship management will tend to take care of itself more than it will at, at other places. So this is, this is once again, a situation of the rich being richer. And I've kind of wondered that too, and and that's the part that I find curious. There, there was a at first I was like, well, I think Alabama should be fine, uh, considering they have all these early entrants into the NFL draft and things like that. But then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, well, how much different is that than you know a place like Cal, where they don't have all these early entrants, but they have pretty much their full senior classes compared to Alabama, who lost half their who was supposed to be seniors to early entrants the previous year. So but it I, might act it might actually end up canceling itself out. And if that ends up being the case, I've just there's so many different layers to this. Trying to peel it back and figure out how different teams are going to manage this, it'll be really interesting. And you're going to have there's you know Nick Saban and his coaching staff cares about all of these guys. And what's going to be unfortunate is he's going to have to look at some of them and say, we just we don't have a spot for you. Um, and these guys, they see this as an opportunity with what's going on with COVID to say, I can get an extra year of eligibility. That's incredible. I don't want this ride to end. And then come find out, it's like, well, you're going to have to go elsewhere to do it. And now, granted, for the Alabama players, that shouldn't be difficult. There, there will be other, plenty of other places that if they can accept anybody, it's going to be the, from the top programs more than likely right. uh, that they're going to be trying to get guys in from. But it, it's going to be a mess. And, and even though it's going to help a lot of players be able to extend that eligibility and get an extra year, which I think is, is great for them, there's also going to be a lot of kids who think they're going to be able to get an extra year that there might just not be a place for him really anywhere. And so I'll just hearing him talk about it and he's already kind of alluding to it, you know, him bringing up the fact they get guys graduated way sooner. He's essentially saying a lot of these guys can have a degree from the university of Alabama and move on as a grad transfer and enter the transfer portal and go somewhere else. He's already kind of anticipating that that's going to be an issue and that there are going to be Alabama players that do that. It's just a matter of, you know, at some point we probably need to start trying to figure out, okay, who, were some guys who we think maybe a Carl Tucker or a Miller Forrestall who not only would want to come back because maybe they're not high NFL draft prospects, but also someone that Alabama would want to come back. Uh, and that's another key part of this, you know, not just want, but need them to come back to fill certain voids or needs. And that'll be really interesting. But I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because 
it's going to be a mess, and I want people to go ahead and, and realize that. But the next it, thing that we that we need to talk about. Well, hang on, hang on, real quick. So two things: your your point about Cal and uh, the the example uh, of Cal and how they tend to have their full senior class more frequently than schools like like Alabama do. Um, so it, it may balance itself out that way. Isn't it? Is it possible that Cal or, or schools like Cal, we shouldn't be beating up on Cal like this. Schools like Cal <laughs> tend to have to sign smaller recruiting classes every so often to compensate for that, whereas Alabama can consistently sign 22, 23, 24, 25 guys because they so rarely have their full recruiting classes around four years later. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. It's just, just something I, I thought of. There, there are a lot of ways you can go with that. Uh, second, I'm going to use Alabama baseball as an example. There are going to be some programs that just aren't crazy about having a huge roster no matter what. I mean, Alabama's baseball coach, Brad Bohannon, he, he just wasn't someone that wanted to carry a 42-man roster for, for a college baseball season. And for people who are, uh, as Hunter would call them, FOGs, you have a 35-man roster in, in college baseball, 27 of them on scholarship, 35 total. Uh, Bohannon wasn't the guy that just wanted to carry 42 guys for, for a season. He wanted to to get his squad back down to 35 thereabouts, and, and he was able to do that with some senior attrition and um, re- creative recruiting and, and otherwise. So uh, there, there are going to be some programs that just – get out in front of it because the the staff comes to the conclusion that they don't want to carry 97 scholarship guys. That's not really what they're about. So some, some schools will do that. Others will have to deal with it. Yeah. And and at some point it kind of becomes pointless and I don't think they're just going to let anybody come back that wants to come back. I think Alabama is going to need you um, or feel like they need you for depth purposes or special teams purposes or whatever, um, in order for you to do that. And what you're not going to see, something else that this hurts that I don't think anybody uh, is really talking about. There's typically, with, with most programs, there's typically you know one, two, three, um, sometimes a little more, but typically in that one to three range, former walk-on players that get awarded scholarships. Yeah. Um, and, and you're just, you're not going to see that. They're not going to have the leftover scholarships to make that happen over the course of the next couple of years. So that's unfortunate, but to, to the credit of walk-ons, they don't go to Alabama with the expectation that, Oh, I'm definitely going to end up earning a scholarship. It's more of a luxury uh, for them at that point. So it's just something that is going to also be affected. Uh, but moving on talk, speaking of walk-ons, speaking of, 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 uh, a position that typically has a lot of walk-ons, the punter, the competition with the punter. Nick Saban's talked about it. He said that three players are currently in the competition to be the starting punter. Um, I did notice that based off of his comments, his word choice describing those three players wasn't great. And that could just be me. You might be able to correct me here, but <laughs> you know, called them halfway decent. Yeah. He, he literally said all of them are doing halfway decent. Oh, uh, just, okay. God. Yeah. I, to <laughs> me, when I when I heard that, I thought that was a big yikes. Um, yeah. And I'm glad that you already knew that was coming, because uh, that as soon as I read that, I was like, that doesn't sound good. That that sounds like somebody that's doing his absolute best to praise somebody that really doesn't deserve praise. Now, granted, he's followed it up and said that they're all improving and, and stuff like that. So I'm not sitting there saying, oh, they're Alabama screwed at punter, but. The days of J.K. Scott are long gone, even if his brother Charlie Scott, the Air Force transfer, is on the roster and he's one of the three players involved in the competition. What do you think about punter this season? We do know Will Reichard is going to only be used in emergency situations. He's not really involved in that competition. So you have Ty P. Ryan, Scholar DeLong, and Charlie Scott. What do you think about those three? Um, it's a bummer that Will Reichard is – is in the situation he's in. I, I had high hopes for him being a full-time punter and a full-time place kicker in, in college football. And he very well could be. This is just his sophomore season, and he very well could play five seasons because of the extra year of eligibility he'll be afforded from from the pandemic. Um, but may, maybe one day that'll happen. Um, I mean – I'm I'm obviously going to ride for Ty Perrine because dude put on like 30 pounds of muscle 
in the offseason. So he's a low-key he's a low-key thick punter. And I'm always <laughs> I'm always here for that. Like he's he's by far the heaviest uh, among the three because Ty Perrine is 6'1, 218. Skyler DeLong is 6'4, 188, and Charlie Scott is 6'1, 195. So I'm I'm always gonna ride for for that. Um, I, put it this way: I think the hope would be that Bama doesn't do a lot of punting this year. Fair, very fair. I, I think that would probably be the hope um, because if if the uh, if halfway decent is the word being used to describe uh, an entire position group right now, woo! Yeah, I just and I mean. Uh, We'll kind of have to see how things play out. Um, Perrine is definitely the guy that I think most out. He's become a, a fan favorite, and he did so kind of out of nowhere. It's not like this guy had a lot of hype. I just think people, you know, fans were looking for any sort of stability from the position whatsoever. And and while he didn't necessarily bring tons of stability, he brought the exciting factor back to the punting position that kind of J.K. Scott did. He just can't do it with the same level of consistency as J.K. Scott. And when you're punting or kicking or playing golf or doing anything, you know, I've kind of made this analogy before and I might have used it on the show before, but really, you know, what separates, uh, you know, people that you play golf with on a normal basis and Tiger Woods is consistency. You know, uh, I play people, I play with people all the time or back when I actually was able to play a lot, but who could hit shots the same way Tiger Woods could, can, they just did it on a super rare basis. And Tiger Woods is doing it pretty much every time he's on a golf course. It's the same thing with having, you know, a great punter. Uh, Perrine was a guy who at his best looks every bit as good as J.K. Scott. He just can't do it with the same level of consistency, and that's something that Nick Saban is looking for with his punter. Skylar DeLong is another guy in practice who I've heard over the last few years has made some amazing kicks or punts or whatever you want to call it, but it's A, it's a lack of consistency, and B, when he gets in game situations, you see the worst version of Skylar DeLong, and, and you know, good for him for still being involved in the competition. Um, I'll see, I have to see how, kind of how it plays out. But until he's able to show something actually on the field in game situations, I'm not really going to have high hopes for DeLong. We'll have to see how that uh, works. And I'm not trying to attack the guy. I'm just I'm speaking you know, what I've seen and what I know. And well, behind I, the scenes, he, he might have gotten way better. I think what you said is perfectly fair. Like he – Skylar DeLong is an immensely talented punter. Um, his, his, capa- his body is capable of doing things that would make him one of the best punters – in the nation and potentially a NFL punter. He just doesn't do those things consistently. And it's, it's one thing, like put, put it this way. Let's, let's look up the, the punting stats, which is a, a thing that I, I didn't anticipate doing today, but, <laughs> Oh, life takes you weird places. Sometimes last year, Max Duffy of Kentucky led the nation with a 48.12 average punt. Um, the, the thing with, Skyler and with Max, like I obviously I didn't watch all of Max Duffy's 49 punts last year. I, I would assume he wasn't banging 47, 48 every single time. He had some that were 55 and, and some that were 42, but most of them fell roughly in that range. And and that's where Skyler's downfall has been is that he on the practice field, he will boom 55, 60 yard punts. But his misses in games are these 25-yard ducks that, right. that are just super, super ugly. So if he can find whatever it is in his stroke and his setup that that creates the wide inconsistencies, he can be that. He can be someone like J.K. Scott, who was insanely reliable. In, in his time at Alabama and has been that for the Packers. Is he a Packer now? Oh yeah. Okay. And doing great things for him. Yeah. So he, Skylar DeLong can be that if he figures out whatever it is in, in his stroke and, and approach that, that is leading to those, uh, those wide inconsistencies. Uh, Ty Perrine was relatively consistent last year. He just did it over such a, a small sample. I mean, he, he punted, I'm trying to see if I can pull this up very quickly. He punted 13 times 
last year. Uh, there yeah, were uh, 14 punters in the SEC who punted more times than he did. Actually, Tennessee had two dudes punt more times than Ty Perrine did last year. Go Vols. Um, so. Yeah, Char- Charlie Scott punted the ball 30 times for Air Force last year, so that's just the difference. I mean, over double. Yeah, there's, there's a good standard for, for comparison. Um, so he yeah. was relatively consistent last year. He just didn't punt all that often. If, if he's able to hold that over an entire season, then he would unquestionably be be your guy. He's just gotta he's just gotta go out and do that. And what's interesting is, you know, I feel like a lot of people forget just how. Uh, don't get me wrong, J.K. Scott was also a fan favorite. People loved him. People throw you know goat around when when speaking his name, which is you know fantastic for him. But sometimes people forget just how important or how much of a game changer it can be if you have a punter who can change field position for you. And that's exactly when you think back to the LSU uh, Alabama game a few years ago, and I'm trying to think of the exact year I'm kind of, you know, get them confused. They all run together sometimes, but JK Scott was a guy that was, you know, really a huge reason why Alabama was able to win to the, to the degree that they were, because he was able to switch field positions a couple of times that really helped Alabama's defense and didn't put them in bad situations when they should have been uh, put in bad situations based off of the offense and the way that they stalled out uh, deep in their own territory. So, you know, having that kind of presence can, can be huge and it can make the difference in games, even if you don't necessarily realize it, uh, it's something that Alabama didn't have last year. And and we talk about, you know, you think about the combination of having that lack of consistency at the punter position plus a defense that really struggles. Well, you don't have a punter that can help the defense out a whole lot uh, in situations. They get put in, in less than ideal situations based off of, you know, certain things. And then, of course, they're not able to stop anybody anyways. Uh, so that's a bad combination. So getting the punter position right, uh, I think, would be very beneficial for Alabama even if fans look at that and say we got a dominant offense we got a dominant de- we, we're trying to get back to having a dominant defense uh you know Will Reichard with the kicking duties hopefully he can get things shored up you know who cares about punter and, and to some degree if you have an offense that can do the things that Alabama's offense has been able to do over the last couple of years that's great um but a, a punter can make a difference in those make or break moments and, and people need to realize that uh do you got anything else on this you are probably referencing J.K.'s 2016 season in which he was one of four – his junior year, which was one of – he was one of four punters in the nation to average more than 47 yards per uh, per punt that year. Just to, to clear that up, you're probably referencing his 2016 I, season. I, I believe uh... – I believe that I either it was either 2016 or 2017. Now that I think about it, because 2015 was the year that you know Leonard Fournette and Derrick Henry were battling it out for the Heisman, and Alabama's defense shut them down. It wasn't that year, and but that was also at home. So I think the next year they were on the road in 2016. So it might have been 2017 because the game I'm thinking of, and oh yeah, I'm pretty sure it was because Jalen Hurts into nothing. It had to be right. Yes, uh, and that was at home because I remember I was in the stadium for that game. Um, where I remember there was a couple of wild punts from J.K. Scott where he just really bailed out um, the, the Alabama defense. And well, if so, you were there, then it had to be 2015 or 2017 because the 10 to nothing game was in Baton Rouge. Yes, exactly. So I, I think it was 2017 because Jalen Hurts was the quarterback. I remember that, and it was a home game, so that would have to put it during the 2017 season. 15 um, then. Say what? Well, well, no, it could have been 2017. You're right. Um, yeah. No, you're. I'll, I'll look it up. Uh, but yeah. Um, but anyways, we'll kind of move on to things other than Alabama special teams. We spent no, quite a bit no, of time on that. We will talk about punters for the next 45 minutes. Um, if I will be, I'll go look at the the analytics of this podcast and see where things start to trail off. And I got a feeling <laughs> that 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 comment at that exact moment is where you're going to hear a lot of people just you know completely be like, okay, I'm done. Um, yeah. J.K. Scott in that 2017 game against LSU, he had eight punts for an average of 51.6 yards, one 58-yarder. That, yeah, that was definitely the game. That that was yeah, because it wasn't like it was just one or two. I mean, he had like it said like every time he went out there, he was booming one and completely flipping field position. Uh, it it was incredible, and that's just something that. You know, that's unfair expectations for any punter currently on the roster and will probably be on the roster for a very long period of time. But 
you know, having those kind of performances, you know, every once in a while, or at least on one or two of your punts can, can really make or break and not necessarily break necessarily, but it can really make your, your, uh, your season or your game. Uh, but moving on to the next topic that I wanted to talk about, I wanted to get your opinion on not the RB one, not the RB two or even the RB three. We're talking about number four on the depth chart, the running back position, it seems like Roydell Williams is starting to make a huge push to be that fourth guy. Now, the fourth guy on the depth chart, how much action is he actually going to see? He'll probably be the guy who is, you know, one of the first off the the bench in late game situations where you've got a comfortable lead. They typically like to go ahead and start getting their their starting running backs out. You kind of want to save the wear and tear on those guys. So you might see a Roydell Williams. He might be your second half closer. And then of course, I think that anything he shows during the time that he does see on the field could help him as far as his case. You know, if Brian Robinson does end up leaving along with Najee Harris, I don't know if that'll happen, but it could be the Roydell Williams, Trey Sanders uh, show starting in 2021. But what do you think about the, the running back position as a whole? And what have you heard about Roydell Williams and his performance in camp? No, I'm 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 hearing the the same thing that particularly in in scrimmages, Roy Dell is tops among the the freshmen in, in the pecking order, which puts him ahead of Jace McClellan and, and Kyle Edwards, which kind of surprises me a little bit. Maybe I just got caught up in the in the recruiting ranking and the signing day flip from from Oklahoma and everything. But I, I kind of thought Jace McClellan was going to be the the freshman in this class that that possibly led the freshman in, in carries in, in 2020. But I mean, if the season started, put it this way, if, if Bama was playing Missouri this Saturday, instead of two Saturdays from now, and they were winning that game 42 to three and the, the third, the second and third string offense comes on the field. I, I think Roy Dell Williams will be the one would be the one getting those carries. Like Roy Dell would be playing the role of Keelan Robinson, basically. Right. And, and that's the other thing. I, that's the role he's earned. And, and so Alabama didn't have any players opt out, correct? Not publicly. Not yet. Okay. Um, I'm even at that. Yeah. Okay. So because that's uh, that's going to be a part of this, right? Um, if, if not all the guys are available, that can, you know, Roy Dell being the number four back, being the best of the freshmen, that's maybe not as surprising, and that's why I've kind of been curious. And we'll just kind of have to see how that plays out. We'll know in a couple of weeks. It's not like we, you know we got two months. We got essentially just over two weeks. That's not bad. Uh, I think I can make it. I'm getting to that point where I just want to see all this stuff on the field, see where guys are lining up, see how things are shaking out, who's the starting offensive line as far as the starting five, who's you know uh, getting reps is, is Javon – Baker is he a guy that's actually getting rotational reps or is he a guy that's just been kind of a, a camp standout that everybody likes his you know future potential and he's kind of the number five working with the depth um, or providing depth at the position you know all these different things that we've looked at but I just wanted to quickly ask you about the running backs because Alabama this is I understand Alabama has been deep in just about every season that I can remember outside of the first couple of seasons and really just the first season under Nick Saban. Um, but this year just seems different because that you can, you can go six deep or seven deep depending. And I feel like there's enough talent here. It, it's just, it's crazy to me that you have a guy like Roy Dell Williams, who's being a camp standout. He's the kind of player who, if he would have went anywhere else based off of what he's been able to prove or, or what we're hearing that he's proving is that he would be capable of handling a workload in year one and being maybe not your starting running back, potentially maybe your starter, but more so, you know, being a, a, a an immediate impact freshman, being your number two guy rotating in over the, you know, like a Kylan Hill a couple of years ago, that kind of performance. That's what, you know, would be happening. But he's right now he's fighting for, for the fourth spot on the depth chart and he's fighting and he's doing all these good things just to be a guy who is not going to probably see any sort of significant carries over the course of his, his first season. And that just speaks to the, the, the depth of that position right now. It's as loaded as I can remember. And the second that Najee Harris said that he was going to be coming back uh, for his senior season. And then you turned around and you signed three uh, capable running backs two that were top hundred prospects in the country in your 2020 recruiting class, you sit there and you look at that and you say that they're going to be 
absolutely loaded. So special group uh, of players. You got anything else with this? How, how many SEC schools would Roy Dell be probably the number two back, if not possibly number one? Like uh, probably almost all of them in the SEC West, right? I would say, you know, Auburn's pretty loaded in their backfield. Um, I think that while he would be emerging as a guy who would be contributing, he might find himself in a similar situation. I'm trying to think. Uh, Texas A&M, yeah, I would almost guarantee he'd be the number two there. Uh, Arkansas yeah. behind Rakeem Boyd, absolutely. Yeah. Um, LSU, uh, L- probably. Yeah, yeah. I would probably, I mean, you know, John Emery and some of those guys are currently working as the two and three, but I think that, you know, with the way he's playing, if, if I, I've, I haven't heard anything special about John Emery yet, so we'll have to kind of see with him, but LSU might be a place, certainly, too. That's actually a really good point. Ole Miss uh, and Mississippi State, for sure. Yes, uh, absolutely. South Carolina, for sure. Vandy. Kentucky. He, he probably started at South Carolina, especially with the yeah. injury to Malcolm Lloyd. Uh, I, I mean, most of them. Yes. A guy and, like Cordell Williams with what he's done in Alabama's camp would probably earn him a, a top two spot on the depth chart, but he's at Alabama. He's not anywhere else. And you know that I think that, I think that helps him. Um, don't get me wrong as a running back, you know, you, you kind of, you're, it's one of those positions that you can come in and contribute immediately. Uh, if you're, if you're talented enough, but you know, you look at other guys, Damian Harris being one of them that sat for a couple of years before he ended up being the main show. And granted, he split carries with Bo Scarborough, and you had Josh Jacobs there uh, who was eating up a, a significant portion of the touches as well. But Damian Harris is a guy who who made his mark and finished as one of the more popular running backs uh, at Alabama simply because of the way he handled himself off the field. And I've actually heard similar things with Roydell Williams, just a very professional approach to the game is doing everything that he's being asked to do. And, you know, from the top four players on the depth chart perspective, uh, Alabama is as loaded as anybody in the country. Uh, And this is really not, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's not close, but, I feel very confident in that statement. They might have the, the deepest stable of running backs in the entire country. And that includes places like Georgia and others as well. But speaking of freshman standouts, we continue to hear good things about Brian Branch and Malachi Moore. From what I've heard, they're working as the top two uh, stars. So, you know, barring something, we're probably going to see a true freshman get a start at the star position come week one against Missouri. Uh, but you also have Will Anderson, who continues to make big plays, is seeing first-team reps. Uh, do you think it's possible that Will Anderson could potentially start as early as week one? Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think so because there's probably only – I mean – this is where you get into the into the weeds with the start turn because for the first snap of the game, there's probably only going to be one outside linebacker on the field, right? Because right. you have yes. Dylan Moses and most likely your your will be it McMillan, Harris, or or whoever. So you're probably only going to have one outside linebacker on the field, and it will most likely be either Chris Allen or Ben Davis. But if you're talking about someone who is either first or second among outside linebackers in snap count. Uh, yeah, maybe that, that's maybe, maybe not week one, but maybe later on. I, that's actually a great way to put that. And I actually would agree with that and say, you know, he might not be a guy who's considered a starter, but he might end up seeing more reps than even I maybe thought that he would early on. I, I've continued to peg him as a guy who I think makes an immediate impact. It's an obvious, uh, an obvious passing downs as a pass rusher, um, third down situations, you know, whatever. But with the way that he's been getting first team reps, they might be, you know, preparing him to, to see some action on early downs too. And when well, you talk about snap count, that's really important. Way, isn't every down a passing down against Mississippi State now? That's yeah. Uh, amen to that. Now, granted, that's not something that Colin Hill wants to hear, but it's it's the painful truth, to be honest with you. Uh, 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 I would not be surprised if Will Anderson is on the field for a lot of the Mississippi State game. Maybe yes. not against Curry, maybe not against Ole Miss or, or Georgia or 
some of these others. Has Georgia discovered the forward pass? We'll find out in, in about a month or so. Um, but m- maybe not immediately, but there may come times where Will Anderson becomes your, your, one of your two best bets at outside linebacker. Absolutely. Um, and that's kind of snap count is the thing to monitor here because from a starting perspective or, a, you know, getting first team reps, uh, that that's super important. The first team reps are just him going against first team guys and getting action with the starting defense, which will help better prepare him for game days. But the snap counts was really going to matter. And I certainly think that at the, when you actually look at that amongst your outside linebackers, I think you make a great point. I think that's that's a spot where you'll see him with the second most snaps or the third most snaps almost immediately out the gate. Um, and, and Ben Davis and Christopher Allen will certainly be involved in that. You might see some Drew Sanders, you know, King Wakuda and, and Kevin Harris are two guys that I haven't really heard anything about, especially Wakuda. A lot of people thought going into this year that Wakuda was the guy um, that was going to be the, the the obvious player to step up to, to be, snag a starting spot at one of those outside linebacker positions, and you just haven't really heard anything about him. I, I mean, have you heard anything about King Wakuda? No. Yeah, that's no, very no. interesting. Every, Dead everything. silent. All of the chatter on the outside linebackers has been Chris Allen, Ben Davis, Drew Sanders, and Will Anderson Jr. Yep. All of it. Yep. Yeah. And that's a, can't be an accident. Yeah. And that's a very good point. So you're, all these, you know, there have been people that were predicting Jerez Parks breakout seasons, and that could happen. I'm not saying that I'm going to guarantee it uh, that it's not going to happen, but it's just, it, it's where there's smoke, there's fire. And a lot of the smokes have been surrounded those four players you just mentioned. So that's, that's very interesting. Um, so the final thing that we're going to talk about, and, and it's your favorite topic, and that's why I saved it for last, <laughs> but the quarterback battle, because we're starting to get some more information. Bryce Young's been on the field. You know, we, he missed a little bit of time uh, a couple of weeks ago, but we've got to see, or we haven't gotten to see. I would have loved to have gotten to see it myself, but he's been getting some some game action, game type of action and game situations, I guess you'd say. But Nick Saban, surprisingly, were you surprised at – the way that he kind of broke down the quarterback position like he did, because he brought up things about Mac Jones, he brought up things about Bryce Young, and he even mentioned the improvement from Paul Tyson. I mean, I would have been surprised previously, but as we mentioned on a previous podcast, he's he's kind of slowly but surely just giving us the depth chart at some key positions in, in his press conferences over preseason practice. So I'm not surprised anymore. I would have been uh, about a month ago, but I'm, I'm not now. Um, have you noticed the narrative around the quarterback battle starting to change? When I do radio spots and and, and podcasts elsewhere, I I notice that there seems to be kind of a assumption that Mac Jones is going to be your guy, despite the fact that that Bryce Young is this ultra talented prospect. And, And don't get me wrong, there's still pockets of of Alabama Twitter where they either they think Mac sucks or they're like fish to a shiny object when it comes to a five-star quarterback. So they're, they're blinded by everything, <laughs> but this, this five-star quarterback and the, the two, four, seven prospect page. So there are still those people that, that think Bryce young should be the guy and, or will be the guy. But I've, I've noticed in some of the questions I've been asked by other people and, and outsiders that, there's just this assumption that Mac Jones is going to be the guy because Bryce Young didn't get the traditional offseason to onboard the program and, and make himself a, a viable candidate for a starting quarterback since he didn't have the spring process and the the installation was was disjointed due to the pandemic and, and everything else. I mean, you have your own uh, different Twitter following and the callers on your radio show, I'm, I'm sure. So have you noticed the same thing? Yeah, um, I think a lot of people who are pushing Bryce Young being the week one starter against USC several months ago have, have completely come around. Not, and there's still a lot of them out there who believes he, he will start or should start week one. But I think a lot of people have kind of sh- started to shift that narrative to, well, well uh, Bryce Young is going to be the starting quarterback at Alabama at some point in the uh, during the season. And that's something that I, I still don't think is completely ridiculous. I think that is a, a very real possibility. Will it happen? I, I don't know. Um, I still think that Mac Jones is a good enough quarterback with the way that he's trending in the right direction. Nick Saban said that he kind of struggled in that first scrimmage, but 
had a great week of practice leading up to the second and looked fantastic, um, was one of the standout players of the second scrimmage. Um, and so things seem to be trending in the right direction for a guy like Mac Jones. And, and Mac Jones kind of made his own pitch to be the starter uh, recently and, and made mention that he's got the trust of his teammates and he feels like that's super important. So there's a lot of things that that are working in Mac Jones' favor and Bryce Young having to miss any time, even though it was a short period, uh, that, that hurts you. And I think that this Saturday with what they're going to be doing with the scrimmaging and things like that, that's, that could go end up going a long way. Uh, this might be the last chance that Bryce Young really has to solidify himself as a legitimate candidate to be the starter um, if he doesn't have just this amazing day, then I think that it could be a situation where they start to say, okay, we got to start figuring out how we're going to get Bryce Young on the field in sort of, you know, uh, certain packages or situations to get him some experience, kind of like they did to a tongue of Aloha a few years ago, uh, behind Jalen hurts. You might, it might be a situation where, uh, you're probably not going to have this opportunity against uh, a 10 game sec slate, but, where you know maybe against Missouri or somebody where you can get him into the second half and get him some valuable experience. But Mac Jones up to 218 pounds. He's listed at 214 on the roster, but uh, he said recently he was up to 218. His, his girlfriend's been making him a plate of cookies every night. I don't know how I feel about that, uh, but that's uh, an that's, increase. You should feel great. That sounds awesome. It, it, yeah, it sounds awesome. <laughs> I don't know about you, but if you go if I go eat 10 cookies and then go try to run. Um, you know, if I do that for a week straight and then go try to do a bunch of exercising, I don't feel exactly great. Uh, don't feel like it's a power food, but at, it, who am I? I'm not at Alabama. I'm if, a, I think that was a joke. And even if it wasn't a joke, I'm sure that that's been cleared by somebody. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm picking here, but I mean, he's up to 218 from 205 last season. And as far as his ability to, to take big hits and things like that, that's good news. Adding 13 pounds, if it's not bad weight. That's that's great for him. Um, so ultimately, are you going with the prediction that Mac Jones is starting week one? And if that's the case, what do you think Bryce Young takes over at any point? And if you do try to throw down a, a random, completely uh, throwing a dart against the wall prediction on when that'll be. I, I've I've been saying, Mac, it's your your starting quarterback since the end of last season. I'm not going to come off that now I I will say I've I've noticed I've almost had to come to Bryce's defense lately like when when I'm getting those questions about Mac being the guy I, I feel like I have to throw in the caveat that like Bryce is super talented like ridiculously talented and he just happened to join the program in an off season where the the learning process is uh, kind of not conducive to picking something up and, and becoming a starting quarterback immediately. I, I do think there will come a time where Bryce Young's talent becomes too much to ignore. I don't anticipate that coming during the 2020 season. I think that could come in the off season between 2020 and 2021 where Alabama has a difficult decision to make or a more, Earnest quarterback position battle is is opened and and the result may swing one way or the other, um, but I, I do I do predict that Mac Jones is going to be your starter week one against Missouri. I think he's going to start all of your postseason games, whatever they are, and I think he's going to start every game in between. Fair enough. Uh, and, and see, that, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, don't get me wrong. At some point, and he, he, this is what I've said all along. I, I, I'm not really going to make it. A, a, I'm not going to stick my flag in, in the ground at this point because you know there were some things that Tua Tungavaloa did. Uh, I was back then. I was all about Jalen Hurts starting the duration of the season. Uh, I still believed in him after his true freshman season and thought that there was room for growth. And, and granted, I ended up being wrong on that. But see, here's the thing. I don't I don't mind being wrong, but I think that until it it starts to, to play out on the field, I don't think you should just simply make assumptions. But, you know, uh, Tua Valoa did some things during that first season when he'd go in, you know, the, the spin move against Vanderbilt and, and some other things where he had some really wild moments and didn't was not making a lot of mistakes. The way he bounced back after the interception – against Tennessee, uh, things like that that's really starting to make you think, okay, 
you can watch the the offense with Jalen Hurts on the on the field during that season, and you could watch it with Tua Tagovailoa, and it's two very different things. And if that ends up being the case, then you know I'll, I'll completely start changing my tune very quickly and saying, okay, Bryce Young is is probably going to start at some point and needs to start. I just I'm not going to sit here and make the assumption, especially based off of things we've we've heard about the wow moments. Uh, we knew that he was going to bring to the table, but it's kind of like with punter. Quarterback is all about consistency. Nick Saban has said that um, he needs uh, Bryce needs to get more knowledge and experience within the offense. And he needs to be able to execute with more consistency if he wants to make a push to to be the starter at any point, or you know get to a point where he could be a a backup that can be heavily relied on. Um, and so we'll just kind of have to see how it plays itself out. But after all that, after going for 50 minutes when I said we were not going to turn this into an hour podcast, I do not know how we do this. Um, you you should have known better. I, I should have, uh, you know, and, and as long as we get out in the next 10 minutes, um, I'm going to in the next five because I've got a Zoom call with some players. <laughs> well, good, because we're about to wrap things up and I'm going to go ahead and claim that I told the truth and that we did not have an hour long podcast. Um, <laughs> so don't quote me on it. But all right, Brett. Uh I appreciate you hopping on here with me. Always appreciate the, the the insight and the camp updates from you. We'll be doing this, of course, again next week, kind of uh, Labor Day, threw things off for us a little bit this week. But we'll be back, and not a ton of recruiting news, new recruiting news, um, so we won't have a recruiting pod. But Cecil and Hunter did a, a basketball mailbag that was released uh, today, actually. We'll be releasing ours tomorrow on Friday. But uh, – I think maybe it's time that we get some kind of football mill bag, and that way it's not just us coming up with topics to talk about. People can ask us questions, and and I think that there's been a, at least one review, a five-star review that was left for the podcast um, that had a question attached or could be wrong. I need to go back and look, but that's something that you guys can do too. If you want to get a question in for the mill bag, uh, go leave a five-star review, ask the question, and and we'll certainly get to it. And and if it's me and Brett, or if it's if it's Brett and I, is the correct way to put that. But if it's us two, don't worry. We'll we'll, talk, we'll expand on your question and we'll make sure it, it lasts a while. We'll probably spend at least a good ten minutes on it. So, Brett, and, always appreciate you, brother, and I'll see you next, or I'll talk to you next week. All right, man. And uh, the the questions can also come to us on Twitter at Brett underscore Hudson at Clint R Lamb. Can message me on Instagram. You can also email me bhudson at, at tuscaloosanews.com. Lots of ways. To get your, your questions into the Bama Beat podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles. All right. I am uh, 